Welcome to Global Minima. I am Kit, the show's producer, and with me, as always, is Jason Traeger, PhD, our host. How are you today? Doing well, doing well. They're they're painting the house today, so uh, I don't actually know what it'll look like yet. So that'll that'll be interesting. <laughs> are they painting just the inside, the outside, or the inside? The outside, the outside. So uh, we're they they wrapped up all the windows, and we feel like we've been saran wrapped. <laughs> hopefully there's enough ventilation in there yeah well what is ventilation this is 2020 that's <laughs> true actually so we have a guest that we will shortly be uh interviewing here through the magic of podcasting we have already interviewed her but sandra quack um she's the founder and ceo of 10 power and actually we both know her although i don't have a distinct memory of meeting her, but she's been a part of like the bicycle um, community in the Bay, which is where Jason and I met and uh, knows our friend Leaf, who is part of a interesting little group of people um, called Rock the Bike that are kind of central to the sort of energy bike space. Who you should That's, check out. Yes, you should absolutely. If you're listening to this podcast, check out Rock the Bike. So uh, tell me a little bit more about Sandra. How do you know her and, and what has she been doing that's of interest to our listeners? Sandra is involved in um, trying to bring solar to those less fortunate uh, in, in the world and uh, underserved populations. She runs 10 Power, which is currently financing and uh, helping to install solar power in Haiti and, and other countries. Mm-hmm. I think I met her first at camp grounded i feel like i feel like that's where i met met her but definitely um uh she's she's 100 solar powered i I'm pretty sure she goes by raw at burning man um and is is generally our people so it's nice to have someone who's a total badass on the show um also an echoing green fellow well, there's probably just about a bajillion good things I could say about her. Um, yeah, it seems like it. But she's just, a, yeah, she's a classy human. She seems, she's a super interesting interview. I mean, I think you guys are in for a treat. And I just enjoyed getting to know her a little better. And now I'm excited that she's, I've already invited her and Leaf to hang out uh, in a socially distanced fashion the next time they're up in my neck of the woods. So um, yeah, let's let's actually just get right to the interview. Uh, this is Sandra Kwok on Global Minima. Thanks, Sandra, for joining us on Global Minima. It's been a minute, I think. I think I saw you last, I think it was at SoCap, uh, maybe like a year and a half ago. Yeah, SoCap or Verge. Or maybe at Gate. Maybe, no, at, at uh, Kit Price saw you at Gate. I probably saw you at Greeters. Um, yeah, so um, we'd like to start off with a little baseline so that our guests um, just say a little bit about themselves and how they got where they are. Um, and so if you wouldn't mind, would you do a little introduction? Tell us a little bit about who you are and um, how you came to be where you are now. Sure thing. Well, my name is Sandra Kwok, and I'm the founder and CEO of 10 Power. We're a company that's working internationally to provide commercial scale renewable energy in places that don't have access to electricity. 
So we work on project development with international codes and standards, and we source appropriate financing. We're currently active in Haiti, where we've put solar on UNICEF Haiti's headquarters. We recently finished a solar-powered desalination system that's providing clean drinking water for 40,000 people. And, um, and we're working on expanding into our next market now. And um, my background has been in energy motivated by a, a desire to reverse climate change within my lifetime. And I started out in grad school creating an energy efficiency smart buildings company. From there, went into big data and was working in Silicon Valley at a company called AutoGrid. And we were using information from smart meters to balance supply and demand on the grid in real time and run massive demand response programs with um, high levels of guaranteed reliability for utilities to curtail peak demand. And, um, and then from there, I went to found 10 Power. And um, we are working on fulfilling this goal of 100% renewables for 100% of humanity with a gender empowerment lens. Well, that's, uh, that's certainly admirable. And we appreciate having you here as our guest with uh, such lofty and necessary goals. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So just to set baseline, in the energy space, we've seen the data transformation really impact all features of of, of the space. And so from your perspective, how have the data-driven tools changed from the time you started uh, in this space? And I realized that you've uh, moved around to different spots uh, in, in the energy space. So just starting with the focus on the solar um, uh, spot. Um, and what, what did they look like at the beginning? Like, how has the data transformation affected you? And you can feel free to color in about the other areas of energy that you've touched as well. Yeah, in the energy access field, it's been really exciting over the last five to 10 years, seeing the um, explosion of different players and, um, and the level of maturity that a lot of companies have achieved. Um, it used to be that players had to vertically integrate um, and, and that there weren't a lot of OEM providers. And now there, there are companies that are really specializing in smart meters or um, pay-as-you-go or particular aspects of data collection and monitoring. So we're seeing a much more robust ecosystem. And I'm excited for all the future potential. You know, back in the day, um, before Muhammad Yunus, people didn't believe that it, it was possible to create profitable business models for the base of the economic pyramid and then microfinance came along. And I think that energy access is, is at that period of growth where, where it's now being proven that there are profitable business models that can create massive social empowerment and economic power empowerment, um, as well as providing renewable energy to people. So um, yeah, it's great to see a lot of other players in the ecosystem maturing, um, especially on the data generation and collection side. Yeah, and so just to kind of dig in there, you know, at, at, at 10 Power, you're helping to get solar into underserved communities. And so you, you have to interact with some of these uh, these meter companies and these uh, microtransaction providers. What does that look like? How does it, how does the, that very information heavy transaction layer and uh, interaction play with these partners? What, what is your, what is your day to day like? And, and how does it, um, how does it shape your interactions with them? We use a lot of interfaces that are provided by vendors, and we are exploring right now working with a, a third party to create a universal dashboard where we can pull in 
a lot of information and do predictive asset maintenance for O&M on equipment. Um, since we're operating mostly at the commercial scale, um, we're using commercial grade meters. So, so we haven't um, to date done a microgrid with residential um, smaller smart meters, but, um, but we've been working at the larger scale with commercial facilities um, and, and using more of the um, CNI industrial level um, monitoring equipment. And, um, and it's, it's been helpful, you know, that, uh, that a lot of vendors are, um, are providing their own interfaces. And at the same time, we're also looking for a, um, a universal dashboard and we're in contact with a number of different vendors, um, who are newer, kind of the same, the same age as home power. So, so I'm really happy to see the market maturing to the point where, where there are partners that we can work with now, um, that didn't exist when, when I was founding the company and, um, yeah, on on the solar specking side, it's also super helpful to have um, you know great databases of GIS information, of solar radiance information. So um, so we we draw heavily on um, existing software that's able to pull in open source data, and um, really grateful for folks who are generating that data, um, like Iris and Enrol. And, um, and it's really helpful for, for our engineers based in Haiti, based in the United States to, to be able to leverage um, these amazing databases and, and utilize software to, um, to create projections and, um, and be able to model our software projects and our solar projects. You know, I've been, uh, I've been messing with GIS databases for a few months now, and I have a lot more respect for the people who work in that world because it's some other form of wizardry. (laughs) Hey there, Global Minima listeners. We thought you might be curious why we started this podcast. So here's the deal. Sustainablist, our company, is on a mission to help organizations in the clean energy space utilize their data to improve their processes. Whether it's sales optimization aimed at designing more productive portfolios of leads, DER multi-objective optimization that accounts for the complex constraints found in this space like battery or array size, grid topology, EV distribution, and local policies, or just figuring out where to start on your data journey. Sustainablist combines deep data science acumen with a time-tested knowledge of the clean energy space. To find out how we can help your clean tech organization, visit us at sustainablist.com gm. That's sustainablist.com gm for global minima. All right, back to the podcast. Real quick, what, what's the average size of, of your systems? So we're in the hundreds of kilowatt range right now, okay. um, and, and we are looking at larger projects that are that are in the megawatt to ten megawatt range. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what's coming up in the future. Um, to date, we we have installed. Um, we started out in the in the tens, and now we're in the hundreds. So true to the name, ten power, we're um, exponentially expanding our capacity. Just one order of magnitude at a time. Yeah, every every year or two, you know. Yeah. Swanson's <laughs> <laughs> curve for the company. <laughs> so, you know, it's good it's good that you're growing. Um what is what does the data tell us about the solar trends in these communities in general? Um and what what do you think it points to over the next 5 years? I mean, solar just makes sense in a lot of communities that don't have access to electricity. So, so we've seen massive growth Happening um, both on the adoption side as well as on the um, on the practitioner, project developer, um, and installer side, and um, and we we 
at least in in Haiti, we've seen growing interest and um and and then there are even faster growing markets in sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia, um, where the trend at this point is basically inevitable. Um, renewable energy, um, especially solar, is a clear winner in places that don't have equal access to electricity, especially in places where a lot of people are living um, in rural agricultural areas and are really far distributed. So it doesn't make sense from a cost perspective to do transmission and distribution lines um, all the way out to, to each pocket of community. So um, so distributed solar um, really just makes logical business sense um, as well as environmental sense. And um, one of the biggest trends in terms of off-grid solar um, that is helping the industry right now is the price of energy storage coming down. Plummeting. Yeah, and it's the largest the largest portion of the cost for a project usually um, when you're going completely off grid. So um, I'm really excited to see technology transfer. You know, there there's a lot of innovation that happens on the front lines at the bleeding edge, and um, as we're seeing with the with the you know quadruple pandemic of COVID, capitalism, colonialism, and climate change. They're the frontline communities who are impacted by one of those factors are the hardest hit by all of them. And, and so there's really the imperative to innovate quickly and, um, and to build up resiliency. And I think that a lot of these innovations that are happening on the front lines are going to transfer from the south to the north as the impacts of climate change are, are hitting everyone. Yeah. And as we all feel the, uh, the pain of climate refugeeism, um, you know, I'm I'm in Portland, and this is just the start of people being displaced in the U.S. Yeah, the latest IPCC report was saying um, one in three humans will be forced to climate migrate in the next 50 years. Yeah, my, my mother was asking me where is a place where we won't have the impacts, and I was just like, no such thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that's an important work and an important place to help with the technology transfer because we're, we're all... We're all on this spaceship together. We all live on the same marble. <laughs> um, so kind of got into the nitty gritty of, of how things are, are, are used. So you, you were saying you're looking at doing uh, asset health mon- monitoring. Um, do, you, do you track the production and installation uh, data and how, and if so, how are these, um, how are these data points being used? Um, in your operation, uh, how are you using them to make solar less expensive and, and more affordable? We're continually refining. So um, so we, we do closely track the installation and the, um, the generation, the nameplate capacity and the performance of the equipment over time. Um, Haiti is a particularly harsh environment. And, um, and so, so with super high temperatures outside, um, it's it's important that that we're making sure that um, that we're refining our assumptions um, since oftentimes equipment is um, is tested in a different environment and um, and so so we're constantly revisiting our data with every installation to um, to make sure that we're we're modifying our assumptions accordingly. Cool. Yeah, I think you answered the next question already. Um, that you don't you don't work with microtransaction nanogrids. But I'm still curious about uh, what your opinion is on them. Uh, who's doing the cool work in the space? Feel free to give a shout out to any really cool entrepreneurs that you know in that space. Um, 
Like who, who's doing the cool data work in, in that space, in your opinion? We are excited to um, potentially partner with another company um, that's been operating in Haiti for some time. And they have a nonprofit side and a for-profit side. Um, their, their nonprofit side is called EarthSpark, and they work on microgrids. And then the for-profit side manufactures a, um, a very low-cost rural residential smart meter called the Spark Meter. And um, the World Bank right now is working with the Haitian government on, um, on a funding facility for renewable energy microgrids in Haiti. And, um, and we're super excited to, to partner with organizations that have been working in this field to, um, to move into microgrids and help bring the power to the people, you know, especially in underserved rural communities. So, um, so that's an avenue that we're looking at right now. And um, EarthSpark's been doing amazing work in Haiti for a long time, and um, and is um, is starting to to hit scale now. So, um, yeah, we're we're really looking forward to um, to hopefully leveraging some of these World Bank funds. I don't know. Something about the the idea of a nanogrid or a microgrid just seems kind of cozy. Right, it's just you're just making everything you need. I, I don't know why. Like, it's just, it's just the word that pops to mind for me. <laughs> well, especially with the wildfires right now, you know, we started 10 Power to, to go to the places that were lacking reliable electricity. And, um, and that, that used to be, you know, places like Haiti. Um, and now it's California and, and the Pacific Northwest. And, and we're really needing to think about resiliency in a completely new way. And um, even people who have solar, if, if you don't have energy storage attached to that, which very few installations do, then if the grid goes down, you're still without power. And I think that was um, that that struck home really hard after Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. A lot of people had rooftop solar, but without energy storage. As soon as the hurricane hit, they were completely without electricity. And so, so now is a great time to be thinking about nanogrids, picogrids, islanding, adding energy storage to solar, um, especially as the cost of storage are coming down. And, and thinking about the whole package in terms of energy resiliency, reliability, and climate resiliency as well, hand in hand. Love it. How do you measure su success in your work? What kind of ancillary metrics do you use to track besides kilowatts installed? Well, you think about it in terms of um, basically the triple bottom line. So, so we're looking at environmental impacts, um, which begins with the kilowatt hours installed. We're looking at diesel um, emissions that were offsetting. So looking at the long-term CO2 benefits of emissions that are not going into the atmosphere. And in addition to CO2, there are also lots of toxic fumes that harm human lungs, um, like SOx and NOx. So um, so looking at the um, community health benefits, which is a social side of it, we have a gender empowerment lens. So we have a women's solar installer training program. Um, we work closely with our customers to track the impacts both inside their businesses as well as in their broader constituency. So are they able to serve more customers? Are they supporting critical goods and services, healthcare um, in the general community, things like that? Um, and then on the economic side, are the businesses saving money? Um, are they able to reinvest that capital into their business? What's the local money multiplier of um, capital that's staying within the Haitian economy instead of going out um, and reducing GDP for subsidized imported diesel? Um, so, so we're looking on the on the social, environmental, and economic 
um, sides of things. And then we also look at um, these concentric circles. So if you imagine the ripple starts within 10 power and, um, and parity on our team, looking at um, our Haitian team, looking at equity um, and gender representation within our, our own team. And then on our customers um, business side, we're looking at, you know, how many, how many women they're hiring um, transgender people, what their policies are on our installers teams. We're looking at um, ethical supplier best practices in terms of codes of conduct um, and helping with capacity building codes and standards. And then rippling out from that, looking at the broader community, the constituents that are served, the families of the employees, um, the customers of the businesses, and the broader social context. So we, we track metrics across all of these different vectors. And, um, and the way that we've designed our KPIs is in line with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So the key goals that 10 Power is focused on are number one, no poverty, number five, gender empowerment, Number seven, renewable energy access for all, and number thirteen, climate action now. So um, the UN, the UN Sustainable Development Goals framework is really rich in terms of metrics, and um, they have sub sub points on each on each of the um, global goals that um, that you can dig into. And I've found that it's it's a really helpful um, mental map for impact entrepreneurs as well as impact investors to all get on the same page. Um, finally, about what impact actually is and what it means. Well, thank you. That was comprehensive. Um, I, as as you were saying that, I was like, well, of of course, the energy production affects everything in in the country and in, and in these businesses. And so, um, it's it's really stunning when you, when you start to list it out to see what all of those things actually are that it, that it affects. Yeah. We really see energy, renewable energy as the key building block for everything else. And, um, it's interesting. You know, my first energy access project that I did was for solar power drip irrigation systems in rural Nicaragua. And I realized out in, in Rivas, Nicaragua, where, where there's not running water, you know, without electricity, you're inconvenienced, but without water, you're dead. Yeah. But in order to have clean drinking water, we need electricity to be able to, to pump that water, to purify it, and, um, and to get it to people. And, and so really, energy is, is that fundamental underlying enabler that provides people access to life-supporting water, to food distribution, the moving up the value chain, cold chain storage, access to healthcare. We're working right now with the frontline COVID hospital in Haiti. Um, on a renewable energy project design for them, and um, and thinking about all the critical goods and services, ranging up to access to global markets and education and dialogue, like we're having right now, which is completely internet enabled, which requires electricity. So um, indeed, it's it's interstitial to every single aspect of our lives. Yeah, let's let's talk about the numbers that are on your on your website here. Um, it says that sixteen uh, percent of humanity lacks uh, access to electricity. Fifty-three uh, percent renewable potential is fifty-three percent of renewable potential is in developing countries. Um, Five hundred and sixty gigatons of CO two can be avoided with renewables, and two hundred and forty-one billion dollars are invested in clean energy in twenty sixteen. I'd love to hear like, uh, 
how you chose these numbers and you know would you dig into them a little bit and talk a little bit about um how you see them and how they inform your business yeah you know what's beautiful about those numbers is that they've gotten even better recently and um and we need to update our website that's a that's a project <laughs> the remainder of 2020 um but since we last published those figures um the percentage of humanity that lacks access to electricity has gone down from 1.2 billion to 940 million so it's now only 13 percent of humanity that doesn't have electricity so I was clapping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Big ups. So companies like 10 Power are springing up all across the planet and helping people quickly get access to electricity. And what's so important is that this electricity is coming from renewable sources because we're really standing at this crossroads where non-OECD nations are growing very quickly in their electricity usage. And if that new capacity comes from fossil fuels, I mean, we're already doomed, right? Like this, <laughs> this is the beginning of the end in terms of climate change. Like we are already living the worst case four degree Celsius scenario. Um, so until we start actively recuperating carbon from the atmosphere and putting it back down into the ground, um, we're basically driving ourselves off of a cliff. So it is crucial that all new capacity come from renewable energy. So it's really beautiful to see that not only are more people getting access to electricity um, to, to create a higher standard and quality of life um, and, and higher survivability you know, as climate is getting out of control, but that that electricity is coming from renewable sources, which really paints a clear path for sustainable and regenerative development for Earthlings as a whole. For the Earthlings. I love it. Hey, this is Jason. If you're feeling inspired by what you're hearing today, I'd like to point out a way that you can make a difference. Years ago, I started a fellowship at UC Berkeley named after my late friend, Art Rosenfeld, who was commonly known as the grandfather of energy efficiency. The recipients of this fellowship are on the cutting edge of energy efficiency research. Our goal is to build an endowment that can support three full-time graduate students. Currently, the endowment provides one student with a stipend of about $7,500 a year to support their research in the field of energy efficiency. You can donate to this fellowship by Googling Rosenfeld Award at Berkeley or by going to tinyurl.com slash Rosenfeld Award. I want to talk to you a little bit about a, a point of personal interest, which is installation quality of, of solar. Um, and we've, we've spent a whole bunch of time looking at this over at Sustainableist. And I'm, I'm just curious, um, especially like in, in developing world countries, how do you deal with measuring, verifying and correcting for installation quality in the systems that, that you work with? Very tight specs. <laughs> and we also we have we have amazing local partnerships. We um, we really invested a lot upfront in social capital and building relationships with a number of different installers, and um, and we're we're really working with with amazing top quality installers um, that are Haitian run, Haitian led, um, and there's there's a lot of opportunity for for Skillshare, and it's a it's a two way street. You know, we came to Haiti with humble learner eyes. 
you know, people who live in a community are always going to have more to teach you about that community than than you have to <laughs> impart, you know. <laughs> and so, so I think it's it's really important to um, to come to a new place with um, with a lot of respect and curiosity. Um, and and so we've been incredibly fortunate to um, to really have amazing on the ground partners in Haiti, and um, you know installation quality, especially with increasing storm systems, is um, yeah. an ever ever growing um, field of knowledge. There was a great report that was published um, by Rocky Mountain Institute after Hurricane Maria on um, on windproof racking, and they actually tested a bunch of racking after Maria and. Um, and you know, above and beyond what the ratings say on on the racks themselves, they they went through and um, and talked about which types of installation techniques and brands of racking can actually withstand Category Five hurricane speeds, and um, and so there's there's constantly learning that's happening within the industry um, in regards to installation quality, and um, and one of the things that Ten Power offers in the Haitian market is adherence to NEC codes um, and best practices and international codes and standards, um, which, which is challenging in a, in a place, you know, where the government doesn't have a lot of resources to enforce electrical codes. Um, we often walk into a building that, that has a lot of um, code violations in terms of the electrical wiring. And so, um, so we're, we're grateful that the experts on our team can quickly identify that and that we can do electrical retrofits before we put solar onto any building. So it's, it's an additional value add. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's challenging to enforce any C codes in a place where they are expected to be enforced. <laughs> um, yeah, <I> do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's super interesting. Um, you know, one of the, uh, one of the most interesting presentations I saw at the solar codes and standards, uh, symposium like two years ago, maybe, uh, was about how, little ridges the shape of the little ridges on washers and bolts on the racking systems uh affects how they react to the vibrations caused by hurricane force winds which can loosen the bolts um and there's several there were several time-lapse videos of racking being maybe this is just my inner engineer but i i just thought that this was so fascinating um so that that just reminded me of that Everything's a fractal, right? Uh, can I get back to you on that? <laughs> I I'm gonna have to think about that. Because things that that start start small, you know, just continue to spiral and and reverberate. So it could it could just be, yeah, a small ripple in a bolt. That that's the difference between a panel well, staying in a rack and a hurricane or not. Now my mind is blown. Um, okay. Uh, uh, as I was doing the homework for this, I saw something interesting um, on your website and on your LinkedIn. Uh, could you just tell us a little bit more about the Foundation for Climate Restoration? Oh, I'm so happy to. Um, I'm on the board of the Foundation for Climate Restoration. And um, actually, it was founded by one of Ten Power's investors, Peter Fikowski, who's an MIT physicist with 27 patents. And um, Peter has dedicated his life to restoring the climate. So when we usually in the policy sphere are talking about climate, um, the conversation focuses on mitigation and adaptation. How do we build higher seawalls? How do we deal with climate refugees? But 
not that many people historically have been talking about restoration. What does it actually look like for us to go back to being a beneficial species to our ecosystem, the way that we lived for 10,000 plus years before the Industrial Revolution? And it's incredible now all the science that we have about soil restoration and drawdown and, and all of the incredible solutions that we already have at our fingertips for restoring the climate. And one of the things that Peter likes to say is, if you want to go on vacation and, um, and you want to go to Hawaii and, and you just start going west in the Pacific Ocean, what's the probability that you're going to end up in Hawaii? Very little. Um, it's, it's not very high. <laughs> but if, um, if you say, okay, um, 2021, August 15th, I want to be in Hawaii, how easy is it? You just buy a plane ticket boom, you're there, right? Book your Airbnb. So, so without a very clear idea of where we're headed, it is going to be virtually impossible for us to meet our climate goals and to get to a restorative and regenerative future. And so the Foundation for Climate Restoration's goal is to restore our climate to 300 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere by the year 2050. And we've been working from the UN level down to the local level um, in several different countries. We've been working with, um, with civil society. We've been working with amazing carbon harvesting technologies um, that, are, that are being advanced by for-profits, non-profits. Um, for Climate Week, I was moderating a panel that was talking about olivine beaches, planting trees, um, carbon harvesting, um, through scrubbers, and then also building aggregates that can take one of the most polluting carbon-intensive industries, which is concrete aggregates, and actually turn that entire cycle into carbon-negative processes. And um, so really thinking about the, the solutions that are not just stopping the bad, but the solutions that are accelerating the good that can get us to a net negative carbon future and, um, and a, a net plus um, regenerative future for, for society and all life on planet Earth. I love it. Thank you for, uh, for telling us about that. That sounds like the world I want to live in. <laughs> Me too. That's it for this episode of Global Minima. As always, we would love it if you'd share our podcast with your friends, folks in clean tech, folks in energy, folks in data. And make sure to subscribe yourself. You can find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts.